because we talked about spiritual disciplines, um, and that was a weighty enough topic already. It's like, wow, that's a lot. What are spiritual disciplines? And then trying to, I mean, I know that some of you are knowing it, but I don't want to take for granted that you know it. That's, that's, that would be just pretty assumptuous of me, and I don't want to assume that you know it. And so we want to walk level one. We're all in the same place. Um, we had talked about walking in the presence of God. We talked about what is the, being present, center, living. What is that? We talked about creating a, a dwelling place for his presence, both on a personal and a corporate level. We prioritize communion with God through worship, prayer, fasting, the word, and walking out the Great Commission with God, which is Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 20. Because we're not after activities, but a living, growing relationship with the bridegroom, bridegroom king. That's what it means to be in presence and living. And we talked about being present with God at all times, to walk with him, to talk with him, to pray, to intercede, and and, um, and spiritual disciplines, we talked about spiritual disciplines position our hearts to receive and engage with our Creator. Um, this idea about fasting, praying, it positions our heart in a place to receive from Him, to listen to Him, and engage with Him. And then we all talk, talked about having a fasted lifestyle. Um, I talked about uh, two weeks ago about, um, I think we were just talking about speaking life and what does that look like. And, and, and sometimes that means fast our words. Sometimes we want to say what we think. Especially when people cut us off. We want to say what we think. We want to say how we are offended. And like, even just what you said, you know, you could easily have just said, well, that girl's just, you know, whatever. Like, just, you would, you would just easily. And you'd be entitled by the, the kingdom of this age and this world. That would be okay. That would be permissible. But in the kingdom of heaven, where it's, it's taken by force, speaking life and love and speaking deliverance over her and praying for breakthrough, that is what God's about. So... I'm, a, I'm just, we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines today, um, and it's going to be a two-parter because, as you'll see, some of these are broke up into two parts. You'll see meditation, prayer, fasting, silent solitude, celebration, study, community, simplicity, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance, and Sabbath. They're broken up into two ideas. One is on a one-on-one level with God. And one is with a corporate level, like where we talk together and how that works together. And it's important because and the reason why I'm breaking this up, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease you now about it, and we're going to talk about it right afterwards a little bit more. Because it's important that we're about the corporate level as well and what that looks like and how we want to go. We, want, we don't want to settle for... Do you guys want to settle for status quo? Do you? Okay, no, we don't. Okay, that's good. I mean, hopefully we don't want to settle for just good enough. We want to say, God, how can we grow? How can we increase in the gifts of the Spirit? How can we grow, grow in discipleship? How can we grow and see? We're not about numbers. I will never be about numbers. And about, we need to have a mega church. I will never be about numbers. But I am about salvation and souls being one and people being delivered from hell. So that is where I'm. When I say numbers, that's what I mean. When I say multiplication, that's what I mean. We want to see people know who they are and know how to also disciple one another well. So I just want to make sure I'm very clear, because I, you know, I, I know people are scared of megachurches. I'm scared of megachurches. So, um, but I want to make sure that we don't fall into that trap of not being about seeing souls saved. Um, so today we're going to talk about one-on-one relationship. And we're going to be focusing on, actually, for some of you guys might know it, all of you guys might know her, uh, Mary of Bethany. Who knows about Mary Bethany? Like, pretty familiar with her story. 
You can raise your hands. Yeah, I mean, some of you might not know. Okay, so that's good. This is great. We get to meet her. Um, we get to meet uh, also her brother and their sister, which is Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, Bethany. These, these wonderful, this little family, this little trio. Um, they lived in the town of Bethany. Yeah, really good friends. And hopefully you can read this. I apologize if you can't. I need to get bigger font. Apparently, I, I keep thinking, like, I keep getting bigger. But I can read it, so I, I'll read it to you. So, <laughs> um, it starts, we start in Luke's, uh, Luke 10, 38 through 42. It said, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. And I want to pause there because that already is very weird what she just did. That's not appropriate. That's it's totally anti-cultural. Women are not, again, that's just their culture. Women were not usually just sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's the place, that was the place for men. That was just the way they saw things. That's the way their culture was. Women were supposed to be keeping things going in the background. And Jesus allowed this to happen, which is anti-cultural to them. And she's just setting her, but I love what she's doing here. So, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. But um, so Martha, her sister, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work myself? Tell her to help me. Like, she's listening to you. She'll at least listen to you, right? Um, hopefully. And it's just, I mean, you guys all know the siblings. You know, you've ever had a project or things that you have to do around the house. And there's the sibling that I joke about it. Um, but it's true, unfortunately. Um, for, I, I'm from a big family, 12 siblings. I have a lot of sisters, nine sisters to be exact. Um, and every time we'd have lunch on Sunday afternoon, making a big meal, making a big mess, somehow we have three bathrooms in the house. All of them are in the bathroom. They're all somewhere going to the bathroom when the dishes need to be done, right? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. God multiplied the bathrooms or something. Um, but they're all in the bathroom and somehow they know exactly when to come out, which is just when we're finishing up. Like, oh, are you? Oh, you look like you're doing good. Okay. So that is, I just, I, I can sympathize with Martha. I don't want to ridicule Martha because I don't think that Martha is a bad person. We want to make sure we honor the heart of Martha because she's trying to figure it out. She's really trying. But she's means she had to do something a little different than she's used to. And Martha, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you wor- are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed. And actually, he says, or indeed, only one. One thing is needed. One thing have I desired of the Lord. Uh, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is important. I want to make sure. I want a disclaimer. I'm not saying you can't do work, okay? You guys can work. You guys have permission. I'm not saying from up here you guys can't work. Um, so you're not out, not yet, um, not till the kingdom. Um, but he's saying just don't find your success in ministry in work. Instead, find intimacy and power in the place and the space we make at his feet. Be, he's saying be still, be present. This is first. This is priceless. This is foundational. You can't get away from this place. So many of us are really, we find ourselves again like, I don't know who, who finds themselves really busy. Who's busy? I would hopefully all of you are saying you're pretty busy because you guys are all adults. So 
Um, and you guys work, you guys have jobs, you have families, you have, not, have jobs and families, you have ministry, you have you know, friends and relationships that you're building and you're busy. Um, which is why you guys usually turn down some things. You're like, I can't, I can't show up. I'm too busy. But I want to make sure that we're not too busy for the quiet place. We're not too busy for the time with Jesus. We're not too busy to talk with them. I don't think you, I'm not negating the fact that the, the drives on the, on, you know, to work. I was talking to Fred and like, he's just sharing about how he would read the little bit. He had to take a few minutes in the word in the morning and then and then he, it would just spread throughout his day. And, like, he was just so challenged to not, like, do all the things, like, brush his teeth and read the Word at the same time. Like, he's like, I was just challenged for just three extra, four extra minutes just to say, I'm not going to brush my teeth. In fact, I can cinch my brushing in, and I'm spending my quality time here. And that was just beautiful. He's like, and how much sweeter it was and how much better it was for three extra minutes. Three extra minutes doesn't seem like a lot. Unless you're really busy and maybe sometimes a parent, you're like, I want three minutes, just three minutes, just three minutes. <laughs> it's just like we, we don't want to be too busy because busyness and work and ministry, we, we, we've been finding our fulfillment too much in that. It's not bad to do ministry. It's not bad to do your work. It's just we're, it's out of alignment. Before long, we're, we're wrapped up in our calling and our work life, our family life, our, our spouses, our friends, and too busy to sudden when we suddenly realize that we've forgotten to spend time, what even spending time with God looks like. It becomes uncomfortable. And the more you think about it, you're like, like when you're being still with the Lord, meaning don't say something, just read the word and let it soak over you and not loving worship music for a minute. Is that uncomfortable to think about silence with God? Some of you guys aren't uncomfortable because you guys are maybe introverts and you just like to be quiet for a minute. But some of us are extroverts. Or some, we, again, I will, I'm going to say none of us are extroverts. None of us are introverts. We just have a combination and a percentage. <laughs> so I will, I will call us all out. We're all introvert in some way or fashion. But we're all called to not just be too busy, to spend time with the Lord, to seek his face. Again, like 20, uh, Psalm 27, 4 and 8. This is what, G, uh, that, what Mary's doing. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your, Lord, oh Lord, your face, O oh Lord, I will seek. She's getting to do that actually in reality. She's sitting at the feet of the Lord. She's dwelling in his presence. She's gazing up upon the beauty of the Lord, looking at Jesus as he's washing over her with his word, which he's the word of God, right? He's Jesus, the living word. He's speaking the word of God over her, the word of himself over her. And Mary is intentionally carving out a place at the feet of Jesus. She's intentionally placing herself there. It's not easy. It's not popular. It was not cool. It was actually very anti for what she was doing was so frowned upon. Yes, frowned upon. It was, and even then, it's like, really, you're just sitting alone, you know, not just going to a coffee shop and bragging about your time with God. And again, like, I know a lot of you guys are on social media posting things, but I see a lot of people going, you know, look at me, time with Jesus. It's like, no, you're sharing that with everyone else. That Look at me. Are you really about the time with Jesus? Or are you really about showing people that you're spending time with Jesus? What is it about? It's out of priority. It's not bad to post it, but I'm just kind of wondering what your priorities are when you post it. Um, so again, I just, I don't want to, I'm so, 
I'm so grumpy sometimes when I talk about people. I, so I apologize. I love people. I just need to have a better heart. So, <laughs> um, so we're creating a space at Jesus' feet. He's calling us to a deeper thing. He's telling something to people like Martha, people like me, and, and maybe you, something we needed to hear. He's like, make this the one thing. Make this the the thing, the only thing you're looking after. If everything else goes, if everything is tossed out the window, like just that's the thing that you did today, that was success. If you spent time with Jesus, it is going to bleed into your day. But if you misalign it and like, I will do all the things and then find time for Jesus afterwards, it's not going to work really well. In fact, you're going to miss it. But if you say, first thing, Lord, I seek you, I will make you a priority. Then all these things will be added onto you. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first Jesus. So what happens when Mary, um, when, when hope dies a little bit, when things go bad, when Mary's brother gets sick? Well, Jesus hears about Lazarus not doing so well and actually is invited to go back to, to be with him, to help him out, maybe even pray for deliverance. I don't know. Um, but Jesus doesn't do that. And we need to find out why. And it's, it's, it's so good. Oh, my gosh. I repent for that. Sorry. <laughs> I will send you all the email of this. All the verses. Oh, man. Bless you guys. <laughs> there we go. This helps, right? Just squint. Squint down to 2020 all from back there. Um, John 11, 1 through 15. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, this Mary, who again, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Uh, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, or when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Does that make sense? You're like, hey, I'm sick. Come over. Oh, he's going to be fine. I'm just going to stay here for two more days. But I love you guys. I love you. I'm just going to stay here for two more days. It seems so anti-what uh, anti we expect of God. Like, God, move. He's like, okay, in two days. Hurry up. You, you could do it. <laughs> Come on. And he, even then, and I'm going to pause this for a second. Because we know that Jesus could heal him with what? Just a word. We know that to be true from Matthew 8, 8 through 13. You know, the centurion, he's like, hey, Lord, I do not deserve you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes. And that one, come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And he finishes, Go, let it be done to you just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. So Jesus is doing something again. He's pretty weird sometimes the way he does things because it's not our ways. And it frustrates us. But he is working. He is moving. And we can't ask him, but he is going to work in the way he works. So the, he hears that the one he loves is sick. He's like, okay, I'm going to hang out for, for two more days. He's going to be fine. Um, God's going to get the glory, so I may be glorified through it. And then he's just hanging out. And then all of a sudden, two days go by, and he says, okay, let's go back to Judea. 
And the disciples say, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews that tried to stone you, they tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after that, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. I love how he talks. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So this is hard. This is hard to swallow because this does not look like his plan, but it is his plan. And where's Mary and Martha? They're mourning. They're going in their mind like, and I, I, I wonder what's in both of their minds because they're both different. They both positions themselves in a different place. Martha has been working in the back kitchen and, and doing all the work and keeping busy and doing all the things that need to be done. And Mary is like, la-di-da, I'm just hanging out in front of Jesus. And, and it feels so different. Like, okay, but which, where are they now? What's going to happen now? What, where's the power now? Where's the relationship now? And it says, um, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha, uh, Martha Mary, to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I'm, again, I'm going to be pausing through each phrase. I'm going to pause through all these little things that are happening here because a lot happens really quick in Scripture. Martha is saying something. You're going to see a common denominator here between Mary and Martha. You're going to see a common thing, but there's a little difference, and we're going to talk about that difference. She's saying, if you had not been here, my brother would not have died. But here's what I do know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Is that a question? Is that a statement of faith? Or is it an accusation? Is it? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not questioning it. I'm just like, I'm wondering. She's saying something, but watch her later. Watch her later. She's not happy. She's saying a truth to God, but she's struggling because she's accusing him with his word. She's using his word to try to get something, to cut, get him to move. She's like, here, what if I throw phrases at you? I don't, I'm just wrestling with this because, again, there's a difference between her, her and Mary. She's saying it out loud, but it's almost as if she does not quite believe it. Because God asks her, you know, he's like, your brother will rise again. And then Martha's like, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That's not the same thing as what she just said. Whatever you ask, God will give you. But she's saying, but it won't happen until the end. That's like contradictory. She's saying two different things. He says, I am the resurrection of life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I know that you are this. I believe that you're the Messiah, the son of God who is to come into the world. And it's just, it's weird because Martha runs out. She's ready. She's like, okay, let's go. Let's get God moving. Let's come on. Let's do it. And she's, 
I'm going to tell you the answers. I'm going to tell you all the biblical answers I know. I'm going to pull out all of my this. I'm going to pull out of this. She has the information. She has the answers, but she doesn't have it in here. It's not resting in here yet. Uh, Martha doesn't have the relationship. Mary is still mourning in the house. And so Martha, and I just love this, um, this next part. And after she says this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher's here and he's calling for you. I'm wondering if he called for her. Because <laughs> usually when Jesus calls for somebody, it says that he calls for somebody. But it feels like to me that Martha's like, I don't got it. He's not doing something. He's, in fact, in just a few sentences later, he says, he's still staying there where Martha had just seen him. She has not, he has not moved from that spot. He's like, hold on, let me go get Mary. <laughs> let me go get Mary. Let me move your heart. And I'm just, again, I'm just wondering. Like, I'm not saying this is biblical foundational, like, but it just makes you wonder about the relationship. It makes you wonder about what's going on here. So she says, the teacher's here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had yet not come into the village, but was still actually at the place where Martha had met him and left him. Um, And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going out to the tomb to weep there. And now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had not been here, my brother would not have died. Now, she said the same sentence, right? But what did she do? She fell at his feet. Martha went, I know that this is the truth. Accusation, no relationship. Not no relationship, just not a really good one. Not a really comfortable one. Not a one of surrender. Not a one of understanding God's authority. Not one understanding God's nature and his character. Not one that she trusted. It was saying the word. She was declaring things but could not quite believe it. So she stood, but Mary fell. Why? Why did Mary fall? Because those feet were very comfortable. Those were a place where she knew she could trust him. That was absolute surrender. That was absolute trust where she placed him. She had built a place there, a comfort where, man, she's remembering. She's like, I fell at those feet before. I've sat at those feet before. Those feet have become very comfortable to me. I've surrendered to him. I know that he speaks truth, and I will trust him. And I am going to say the same thing. If you would not have been here, my brother would not have died. If you would have been here, if you would have done it, but I'm not going to quote scripture at you. I'm not going to quote the things that I know that about you. I'm just going to fall and trust you because I know the truth of who you are. She doesn't have to say, but even now I know that God will do whatever you ask. She doesn't have to say that. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come to her weeping also, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Martha did not move the heart of God. Mary did. Because there was relationship. There was trust. There was intimacy. There was connection. There was a understanding of who God's authority was. And again, it was because she put herself in a position to really receive. Martha's been busy. It's not bad to be busy, but we've misaligned our busyness with working with God. And like, I, I've joked about this before, but we used to have a housemate. 
Um, we, you know, we always we rent to people, we rent to students. Um, but a few years back, we had one, and I always laughed because she's so busy. I don't really think she was that busy, but she was always busy. She would fly. She would be always out of breath, walking upstairs, walking downstairs, and I would barely get a high out of her for almost like months on end. And I would never talk with her. Michelle would never talk with her. We would never even hear from her. It was weird. I was like, I feel like I got so discouraged because then I also started hearing also <laughs> that she was sharing things about me and Michelle and like, oh, they're doing this. I'm like, no, we're not. You don't know what's going on there. You don't know how we're doing. You don't even know how our kids are doing. You, like, you act like you're close to us. You're like, oh, their kids are so sweet. We've been hanging out. Like, she would talk out of one side of her mouth how close they were with, she was with us. But out of the other side of the reality of the side was that she was not close to us. She was not close at all. And so after a few months, like six months of this, I, me and Michelle had a coffee date, and I was, you know, doing the thing I do to complain. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, gosh, she's just, what is her deal? Like, how does she even know who we are? Like, she's always so busy. How could she possibly even know me? Or like, and just like walking through, like, she just acts like she's so familiar. It's like good friends with us. But, and then God's like, exactly. That's what busyness looks like. That's what Martha looked like. It's not bad. She is in my presence. She is in my home. I, and she, he was saying it about me. He was accusing me. It was good. It was a good reminder. He's convicting my heart. He's like, don't let your life become like that, where you are too busy going to and fro and working and doing all the cool things and then sharing the testimony of who I am without sitting at my dinner table, sitting and getting to know me. How dare you try to share the truth of who I am when you really don't even have a relationship with me? I can tell you that I don't know you. <laughs> That's scary. And I just, again, I'm not convicted. I'm just saying Martha doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying Martha is bad. I'm just saying she doesn't have the authority. She doesn't have, she's lost the trust. She's really struggling in her trust with Jesus because she's trying to pull things out of this and she doesn't have anything, the well built up here. The well's not been built up. It hasn't been made space for that. So she's wrestling with this because like, I look at it, like, what's the difference? Martha stood and accused Jesus with, or not accused. Maybe she just was trying to say, this is what I, I know about you. As if he didn't know that to be him, his character. And Mary ran and fell and wept. Martha recited, Mary weeps. Martha said, but even now I know that you give whatever God says who could give you. And Mary's just weeping because she knows this is true. That he could do whatever, but she's, she's got that relationship. She's clinging to him. She's clinging to the word of God. She, so there's a difference between saying the word of God and clinging to the word of God. And that's why Jesus is stirred. He's stirred because... Not like he wasn't going to do this already, but this is, and he's raised people from the dead before. This is not the first time, but this is pretty awesome because it mentions in the word. This is a reason why this is in the word because he's raised people from the dead before. He's delivered people from sin and bondage. He's done these things before, but this is different. He's pointing at the heart of Mary versus the heart of Martha, and he's saying, please keep seeking after this heart of Mary pursuing my word, loving me, making a space for me. Because the place Mary placed herself was familiar and powerful. It became a holy and sacred place. It even says um, later on in uh, 
was it John, John 12, 3. Let's see if I can keep going. Maybe I, oh, it's not working well. It's either, there's no more slides. Oh, there we go. Okay. And then Mary took about a pint of nard and expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This is anointing. This is worship. She's adoring the Lord. She's spending time and just pressing in, and she loves Jesus. But why did she anoint his feet? Like, she just loves his feet. Like, again, it's this weird thing about, like, but she, this is a holy place to be at his feet, the feet of Jesus. It's a beautiful place to be. It's not an easy place to be, but it means you spend time with somebody. Like, if you spend time to get to know your spouse, if you spend time to get to know your friends, you have to spend time and get to know their bad breath. You have to spend time to get to know their awkward mannerisms. You have to get to know people and spend time. And Jesus loves her because she spent the time there. And she loves Jesus because he spent the time speaking the word over her, and she received that. In John eleven thirty four through 40, it says, Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could, he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? They're asking good questions. But Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, here. But Lord, this is the evidence of her heart. When reality, when he's about to do what she said he wanted, she wanted him to do, she's still scared. She's still like, he stinks, he's dead. This is going to be awkward. <laughs> Y'all, this is this is. There's a bad odor because he's dead and he's been in there for four days. It's impossible. She does not believe what she's saying. That's the problem. It's not bad, but what she's saying, she doesn't have it in here. She's not convicted. She's not convinced. She wants to believe, but help my unbelief. That's what, it's the cry of her heart. It's the cry of her heart to help her unbelief. And Jesus is like, yes, I will. I will help your unbelief. I will show you that I'm faithful and true. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Man. It's so important that we see this. And again, we understand that when Jesus weeps, the Father weeps. I, I, this is a little bunny trail, but not really. I think it's important to know that God sympathizes with us through our frustrations, through our mourning, through our anger, through all the things and struggles. He is a good high priest who is just so faithful. And it says in John five nineteen, I want you to understand who is weeping. It's not just Jesus. It's the Father. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son cannot do anything by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. He waited for two days because the Father said to wait for two days. He wept because the Father wept. He loves them. How much he loves us. He is keen, but he delights in us. It's important to know that our Father in heaven loves us, especially for those who have had terrible fathers growing up. Or, praise God, you know, if you've had a good father, they still have faults. But it's good to know that our Father weeps and mourns for us, that delights in us and calls us into identity. And then we also, not only that, but we have a high priest who's unable to, not, 
Let's see. For we do not have, that's important, do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy, find grace to help us in our time of need. Throw ourselves where? At the throne of grace, at where? The feet of Jesus. Because Mary knows, whether she knows how it's all going to turn out, that wasn't the answer. She went to the one who can do these things. And she's really pursuing it. The Psalm 6331, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. We sing that song. She's practicing these things. I'm going to go back a little bit in my notes just because... It's important to know she's applying some really good spiritual disciplines right here. I think it's important. She's meditating on the word, letting the word soak over. She's thinking about it. She's praying. She's connecting with God. She's spending time in silence and solitude. Rather than hurrying and go to the next thing, she's silent. Even if she has to mourn for a minute and not go to Jesus, she's silent, meditating, and then she goes to the word, goes to the word who is God. She's submitting to God. She's worshiping God. She's trusting him. It was her spiritual discipline. Submission is hard. To submit to his will, it's hard sometimes because we want to fix it ourselves. We are doers. We like to do things. We like to fix it ourselves. And especially as men, we love to fix ourselves. I mean, that's why we don't like directions. We don't like, <laughs> we don't like feedback to how to do things. That's why. It's because we're stubborn, we're prideful, and we think if we can do it and then then... If all else fails, then I'll ask for help. And usually by that time, it's like, wow, what have you done? (laughs) But that's the thing we want to. And I love, again, I'm just going to point out Fred because we had a really good conversation. Apparently, we had a good conversation with Fred. Um, But he was talking about how he loves to just ask for help before he even addresses the problem. Even if he probably knows how to fix the problem, he asks for help because it's an invitation for God to help him and just get glory and just have fun with that. That's fun to have God partner with you and to partner with God. And then Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are the one who takes refuge in him, who falls at his feet. Psalm 16, 8. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. These are truths. So when Jesus says... Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you were always here, that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that Martha, who is standing here, that she may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. It's important that we fast and trust him, put ourselves in a place. Fasting is, does any, who likes fasting? It's not exactly ideal. No one, 
It, it's good. It's good for us, right? We know that to be true. But when we are placing ourselves and saying, I'm fasting my own ability to do everything by myself. I'm fasting, maybe it's food. Maybe it's your phone. I love fasting my phone. I'm try- well, I love and hate fasting my phone. I hate my phone, but fasting this thing, fasting time with people and spend that with the Lord and say, I'm just, again, not, don't sacrifice community. Intentionally place yourself in a, a place of surrendering, trusting God that he's going to talk to you. Silence and solitude. Stop having a bunch of noise. Stop listening to all the nice teachers. Again, stop listening to me for a second. That's okay. You don't have to listen to all this. Let the word soak in. Let the word of God speak to you clearly. And that's the only way we do that is in time of silence and of subjecting ourselves under God's authority. And those are spiritual disciplines. Those are the personal ones. And so we're going to go through, I, again, I'm just encouraging. I'm not, there's, I say homework. This isn't like pass or fail. I'll give you a gold star. I'm not, <laughs> you remember those. Um, but that place is like, it's, it's not because we passed or failed or blew it or, you know, succeeded. It's like, man, God, I want, I want, we get to do this. Yeah, right. That's right, Vicki. Like we get to press into the presence of God. We get to fast. We get to pray. We get to be in silence and solitude with him. Because, I mean, like, who likes to be one-on-one with your best friend? Who likes to be one-on-one with your best friend? Like, it, do you guys like it? The person that hears you, understands you, doesn't accuse you, speaks life into you, rejoices with you, delights in you, talks about you in a way that's affirming that you know when he's away from, or he or she's away from you, they're speaking awesome things about you and just building you up. That's what our Heavenly Father, that's what our and Holy Spirit, we get Holy Spirit, we can dialogue, and we can pray in tongues. And if you don't have your prayer language, that's okay. We can pray with our understanding. We can have these things, but it's important that we dialogue continuously with Holy Spirit. Say, God, what is it I need? I want to be ready at all times. I want to be ready just to connect with you. I want to talk with you. But starting it again, like we, I think we talked it about doing in the morning, like, Sit in the morning, wake up. Dakota, I think you mentioned that. Like, it was a good challenge to sit for one hour in the morning and just pray. And just spend time with the Lord. And then God challenged me. Like, again, with three kids, I was overwhelmed for a little bit. Um, I lost my mind, I think, a little bit. Um, I was like, God, I have no time to be with you. I just don't even have any time. And he's like, well, what do you do from, like, 10 to midnight? So I usually while they're going to sleep, I kind of watch a show and try to relax a little bit <laughs> for a minute, have some quiet time. He's like, well, spend that with me. Turn your show off. Spend time with me. And I got to tell you, that was probably my favorite times. I would stay up later. I would stay up to 10 to 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I want to keep going, but I, I got to get up in the morning. So <laughs> I, it's, but it's so precious. And he's like, that time gets multiplied. And it's a fear. I think it's a fear of us giving him that time, giving him permission to speak to us, or we're afraid that he might not because maybe we're dealing with some shame issue or some bond, some, whatever. We, maybe we need delivered and prayed for. And, but if we sit at his feet, it's never wasted. His word of truth always delivers us. He's faithful and just. He's kind. He loves us. He adores us. He's constantly interceding for us. And when we engage with the fact that the king of heaven is 
loving us and showering us with adoration and love and, and not just blessings for finances and things, but he's blessing our hearts. He's restoring our inner man. He's building us up to go again. Like we want to be ready for warfare. I mean, that's the only way we can be ready for warfare is we're actually built up. We put on the armor of God and we go through that, but we spend time with him to really have that in us. And again, like, well, I forget, it was a Vicky, you're saying the word of God comes out, but it has to come in first. It has to come in. That means write the word, speak the word, read the word, hear the word, all the things, share the word, sing the word. Yes. There's such power in song. Music is so powerful. If you want to doubt, okay. Last thing. <laughs> Last thing. I'm sorry. I've gotten really accustomed to talking too much, and I need to stop. Um, but there's a study out there that actually, especially for people who suffer through, um, especially like, you know, dementia, or just like, I know that there's a study out there for like, for music, and it's just powerful, like how music cuts into our life. I forget. I wish I could explain it better, but like basically it etches into us. There's something that it etches into us. It etches into our mind. And when we sing the word, the word starts becoming more real. And we start reading it for like, oh, yeah, seek his face. Oh, Lord, I will seek. We start saying, Lord, I'll seek your face. Whatever it sounds like, you can sing it. You may sound awful, and it's okay because he loves your voice. Or may, you may think you sound awful. I won't say you sound awful. That was awful. That was awful of me to say that. Um, but he delights in your voice. Sing the word. Declare the truth. Come up with songs. That's why when we say sing a new song, that could be speaking in tongues. That could be singing truths about what you know and let it come to here and then sing it out and sing it and declare it about him. That's what we do when we do these spiritual disciplines. Because So, okay, I can keep talking, man. This is, this is just, this has blessed me and changed my heart. I know for those who've been transformed, that's changed your heart. When you've grown radically and in depth, it's because you pressed in the word, you pressed into his presence, and he's changed you so much on the inside. But don't say that was a nice moment. Continue that through the valley, through the mountain, through all the moments of life, steady and steadfast, seeking God, celebrating him, proclaiming his goodness at all times.